session with Dr. Farid Holaku. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tulapli, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number, well, I can't give you the studio number today because I'm calling in myself on the studio number because we are trying to practice social distancing here at Radio Hamra. Uh, I'm actually calling in myself from my office and not in the studio. Ghazal is there making sure everything runs smoothly. Uh, but I won't be able to take any calls because of that. And we're trying to adjust with everything that's going on, which I'll be talking about today. So uh, let me announce the book of the week, because I'm still doing that. It is Girls and Sex by Peggy Orenstein. Girls and Sex, Navigating the Complicated New Landscape by Peggy Orenstein. And she wrote this one first, and then she wrote a book, uh, Boys and Sex. So what I'll do is read this one for this week, and then next week, the book of the week will be Boys and Sex by the same author, Peggy Orenstein. So today I'm going to cover a lot of topics related to what's going on with the coronavirus. Uh, not updating on the news, because I'm sure you're getting enough of that and maybe too much of that, which I might mention later on too. But more some of the aspects related to our psychology and our relationships and how we're doing and things we can do or try to do to make this an easier time. And really, that's all we can do, because it's going to be a challenging time for all of us. It is uh, something new that we are adjusting to, something that we haven't experienced before. And so because of that, we know that it's uncharted territory, and that itself brings up some anxiety. But of course, the issues related to how it can affect our health, well-being, the well-being of our loved ones, is going to make us even more concerned and bring up more issues. So we have to be ready that this is going to be a tough time. It's going to bring up anxiety. It's going to bring up some feelings of sadness, isolation, uncertainty, all of which will make it hard for us to uh, get through or to expect that we're going to get through these days as if we would other days. So that's something we have to be willing to face and embrace during this time that we're going through something different, something challenging. Even right now, this is something completely new for me to be doing my show, uh, calling in and not being in the studio. And it does feel very different and it's taking some adjusting for me, but trying to make the best of what I can with that situation. So we're, we're in some new territory. We're trying to figure out what to do to help ourselves get through this. And I have hope and faith that we will get through this, and especially if we can get through it together. And so throughout the show today, I'm going to talk about some coping strategies that we can think about, which also have been contributed by a, a friend and psychotherapist, Roxana Karimi. Um, she was supposed to actually be on the show, but because of what's been going on with the coronavirus, we were supposed to have her on in a few weeks, but decided to postpone that for the time being because... Uh, as I was mentioning at the top of the show, we're practicing social distancing and trying to minimize uh, the number of people we have in the studio and to keep things running so we can keep coming to you live or in recorded shows, uh, but minimize the impact we're having as far as interacting with others. So we're going through a challenging time. This is something to 
be aware of and be ready for, and also we can't be completely ready for it. So fortunately, what some people are experiencing is that even though we're making these big changes in our lives, there are some positives that can come through as well. For example, people are connecting and communicating some ways more than they used to with friends and family because of the extra time and because we can't be out and about. We're home and we want to be able to connect to each other. And we are very fortunate to have technology that allow us to do phone and video calls from anywhere around the world. And people are taking advantage of that. Even I had a phone call, a video call with my friend Sam, and we kind of joked because it's interesting how uh, you know, when we had opportunities, we didn't necessarily take advantage of them. And I told him, you and I social distanced all of 2019, because I don't think we saw each other for about a year. Uh, now, so the social distancing is obviously in a different form. But many of us have been isolating ourselves or being disconnected from others more than we might have realized. And this is helping us actually become aware of that. And so with this change in routine, with this forced reset, which a lot of people are going through where their lives are completely changing and so many things are being put on hold, it could be a good time to take an inventory of yourself and your life. What are things you feel good about in your life? What are things you don't feel good about? What are things that might be missing as far as types of relationships or relationships or uh, having children or having other things that are going on in your life, what are things that you're realizing you maybe thought you didn't have time for or you didn't know if you could do, but now with this forced reset, you might get a chance to evaluate and do things and do things in a different way that can actually allow you to create a life that's more like you want it to be. Most of us, most of the time, in a way, our lives are happening to us more than we are choosing to live the life we wish. By that, I mean we start to work, our days get filled up with different things, our weeks get filled up with things that we think we have to do or become our norm, and we might think we don't have time for the things that actually we value. Or we might not even think about what the things are that we value that we'd want to have in our lives, and we just keep going forward with things the way we think they have to be. I don't have enough time to read more. I don't have enough time to meditate. I don't have enough time to exercise more. I don't have enough time to talk more with my husband or wife or have date nights. And all these things that we told ourselves we didn't have time for, uh, now that we are given more time, we're maybe realizing two things. One, we can choose to create them. But two, what I find interesting and a lot of people are experiencing is that they're realizing time wasn't the issue. Because even though they have more time, we're not doing some of those things. So uh, a big uh, recommendation I make for a lot of people is to incorporate meditation into their life. And one of the biggest reasons why people say they can't do it is that they say, I don't have the time. I don't have the time to meditate. And now when people are forced to be at home and oftentimes have a lot of downtime and free time, now, let me just add here that I know that everyone can, is experiencing this in different ways, even though we might have to you know, self-quarantine socially, uh, be more isolated or distant from each other. Uh, everyone might be going through different experiences where at times they might have to be more involved with certain things because of their kids. They might be 
um, much more actually having less free time in certain ways. They might still have to work in a variety of ways, either from home or even out uh, doing different things. So, of course, people are experiencing different things, but for the majority of people, they are having more free time because so many things have been canceled or put on hold or delayed. And what they might be realizing is there's things they thought they just didn't have time for, but maybe there was more to it than that. And so meditation is one of those things that even I've experienced that I think I might not have time for it in a busy day or in a busy week. Uh, but now that I've had more time and I've tried doing it more, I've seen that it wasn't just about not having time. There's lots of feelings that come up when you meditate and lots of feelings we have about meditating in general that are getting in the way. There's anxiety about sitting with your feelings. And so one of the things that we are being, in a way, uh, forced to do is we are, with life slowing down, given this opportunity and sometimes forced to be a little bit more with ourselves. And this doesn't have to be a bad thing, but for a lot of people, it's almost a new thing, something that we're not used to experiencing because we're so used to keeping ourselves busy and occupied and uh, being quote-unquote productive, that we neglect the relationship with ourselves. And we do this not just because we don't have the time, but also because any relationship, as it gets closer, does bring up some discomfort and some feelings that aren't just all pleasant and nice. And so we have to be ready to experience that closeness with ourselves and some of the negative feelings that could come up or the discomforts that might come up in the process. For example, you might realize you're not as happy as you thought you were, or you're feeling anxious about certain things, or you're not satisfied with certain areas in your life, or you're angry with someone or with yourself. And the more you slow down and get in touch with those feelings, they start to come up. Something that people at times have a misunderstanding about when it comes to meditation is that they think when you meditate, all you do is feel this calm, zen type of a feeling. And with time, that might happen. You might start to have more of that feeling. It can lead to things like reductions in anxiety. Of course, as you become more mindful, you tend to feel better overall, and that can make you feel more alive and more connected to your life. But when you meditate, you're also going to get in touch with feelings that are not so pleasant. If there was a, a sadness that you've been running away from or avoiding, if you slow down and really listen to yourself and listen to your body and listen to your feelings, you'll get more in touch with that sadness. And that might not feel very good. It likely won't feel very good in the moment, but it will allow you to be more connected to yourself in a healthier and deeper way, which actually will allow you to then do something with those feelings, first to recognize them, see what's there, and potentially make some changes in your life if that's what might be needed to, to deal with those feelings. As I always say, our feelings are not just a good or bad thing. They're a source of information. Sometimes they will feel good. Sometimes they will feel bad. But in and of themselves, they're not good or bad. They're just something that can uh, give us some information about what we're going through, what we're feeling, what we want, don't want, what we like and don't like in our lives. So pay attention to how as things slow down, one of the things you might be feeling is a sense of being closer to yourself, which won't always just feel good. 
we're going to face some feelings even inside, not just about what's going on on the outside, that we likely have been avoiding or not in touch with. And that can be a lot to process and deal with. So don't expect it just to be good. And if you start meditating and meditating more, don't just think it's this pleasant, peaceful experience that's always going to feel good. You might meditate at times and get in touch with some pretty intense feelings that you might have been avoiding. But overall, this will lead to more psychological health if you get more in touch and can use that feeling as an information that can teach you about yourself and your life. But be ready for that experience. So an interesting thing that many of us will be going through during this time is recognizing that the things we told ourselves we just didn't have time for, it really was not about time. It was about other feelings that we had about doing or not doing that thing. And so this is why when we see someone who's struggling with something or we ourselves are struggling doing something, making a change, it's very easy to say, okay, just do it. Okay, just read more, exercise more, meditate more. And the advice is easy on the surface as far as what we're saying to do or not to do, but actually doing it usually comes with a lot of other feelings attached to it. What do we feel about meditating? What do we feel about exercise? What do we feel about reading more that's getting in the way? Could you think, oh, I'm not a smart person, so I won't understand the book. I'd rather avoid the book. Maybe that's something that's getting in the way. Um, could it be that if I meditate, I will get in touch with some of my feelings and I want to keep my feelings away because that feels safer? Maybe, but it could help to try to understand a little bit deeper, not just what to do, what's the good advice, but understanding why we are at times struggling with doing those things that we know will be good for us. And, of course, none of us is always going to get it right. We're, we aren't going to be robots that will have perfect willpower and never have any issues related to getting things done and doing the things we know will help us. But if we look a little bit deeper at times, we could recognize some of the things that might be getting in the way. It might not just be about um, not knowing what to do. Usually there's a lot more to it. And so if we go a little bit deeper, we can get in touch with some of the feelings that might be getting in the way of us doing some of the things that might help us. Now we're getting to a commercial break. And after the break, I'll go through some coping strategies or something we can call corona coping strategies that people are that could be helpful to people as we're trying to get through these challenging, difficult, and different times that we're going through now. So let's go to a commercial break. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dawakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Um, it's hard for me to know when I'm back on the air. Again, we're doing things differently, having to call in on the phone. Hope you're hearing me now. Um, so as I mentioned before the break, I want to talk about some uh, coping skills that might be helpful during this time. It is challenging for all of us to deal with what's going on. Lots of uh, new things to deal with. Also, lots of things we used to have in our lives we don't have. And that can be challenging, too. Um, but uh, I'm going to share some of my own uh, corona coping skills, but also share some from uh, a psychotherapist in Orange County, Roxana Karimi. You can actually see her post, uh, her Instagram is Talk with Rox, which she just posted on 
some of the corona coping strategies she has thought of and come up with. Of course, none of these lists will be exhaustive, meaning that you have to do the things that feel right for you and will help you through this process. So I'll share some of the ones she's mentioned here and then also add some of my own thoughts as well. So the first one she wrote down is one that I also mentioned in the previous segment and I think a lot of people are, are doing, which is FaceTiming with friends and grandparents. Uh, and she added the grandparents, people who are feeling lonely are also feeling lonely. And so that's a big one that a lot of people are doing. And uh, I've had some group FaceTime sessions with some friends that I haven't done before. And it's been fun. I think it definitely makes you realize you wish you could see each other and hug each other and be around each other. But of course, uh, we're going through this together and going through this challenging times. But FaceTiming can feel a nice way to connect with others, connect with loved ones, stay in touch, and communicate in a way that you didn't before. So it actually can open up some opportunities when you're FaceTiming. You might realize you're talking in a way that you wouldn't have had with uh, that same person, family member, or loved one. So that's a big one that I think a lot of people are already taking advantage of. You see it on social media, people posting pictures of their group FaceTime or having birthday parties over Zoom or some type of a, of a video chat platform. But definitely that's, that's a great one. Uh, the next one that from Roxana Karimi mentions is reread your favorite book. And I couldn't agree with that more. For me personally, uh, I'm still keeping up with reading a book a week. And it, it's something that actually helps me uh, kind of structure my days or something that I surround my days around and thinking about how much I want to read that day and make sure I, I read that and feeling good about that. So I definitely agree with her that this is a great time to read. Uh, and of course, you don't have to read as in have the physical book or a Kindle or e-reader. You can also listen on audiobooks or do different things. So not everyone uh, even goes through a book the same way, but find something that works for you. And related to that, as I was saying, having that uh, root, the structure of reading the book and having my uh, weekly book of the week that I'm reading, it could be a good time to think about as much as everything is changing, as much as so much that we could do, we can't do right now. See if you can, one, create some type of routine as much as you can. It doesn't have to be a strict routine or it doesn't have to be what you used to do. But we know that we do better with structure than when we're completely unstructured. So it could be a good time to create a schedule for yourself, give yourself your day some purpose and some meaning. You'll probably be better than if you just wake up and see what happens. Again, letting our life happen to us usually doesn't work so well, but when we're more intention on how we create our days and how we spend our time, we'll usually feel better both while it's happening and afterwards of what we have done. So keeping some kind of routine can actually be very helpful uh, in, in these times when we're losing so much structure and some regularity. So if there's something you used to do, if you can keep doing it, it might be good to continue doing those things or whatever that might be. So again, for me, reading the book is something that gives me some regularity in how things are going, which actually uh, I do like. Uh, the next one she mentioned was learning to do something on YouTube. Uh, that's great. And there are some jokes of people saying, you know, by the end of all this, we're all going to be great cooks and artists and various things. And maybe some of that is idealized. And we should also be careful not to idealize this time either. If I'm going to just become this perfect person 
like we're all in our cocoons and we're going to come out uh, as these beautiful butterflies. We're already pretty beautiful and okay as we are, but uh, we don't want to idealize these times in the way that we can of thinking uh, of our future self, as we always do, as something, someone that can handle everything and do everything perfectly. But at the same time, I agree with her that it can be a time to think of picking up something new. I know some people are trying, for example, guitar. Even my friend Bahi, he has, he knows how to play guitar a little bit, but he wants to practice more and get better at it. And other people are thinking of some new skill or something they can pick up, which also I think is good for a lot of reasons. We feel good about learning something new. That challenge can be exciting, but also seeing some progress in something can give us a good feeling and can ground us in how time is passing during this time, which can feel very unstructured. And even I've had this experience that many others have as well, that you sometimes can forget what day it is because the days are blending and the routines that used to give our week some kind of structure, a lot of those things are gone and, and can feel different. So that's something to, to think about. Um, another one she mentions is doing yoga or a workout. And so we definitely want to try to stay physically active, even though gyms are closed, parks and lots of other areas are being closed now to uh, try to prevent people from being around one another to stop the spread of the coronavirus, but it doesn't mean we can't work out. So we want to try to stay active. We know that staying physically inactive is not good for us physically, but also mentally and emotionally can be very harmful as well. And so related to that, this is um, one of the things that to think about overall is as if we're all working from home or not everyone, but for many people that experience is happening. And usually even when things were in the, the good old normal days, pre-coronavirus, we would think, uh, a lot of people think, oh, I'm working from home, I'm so lucky. But we have to be aware that it could be uh, a recipe for feeling more depressed, which is something that we're all uh, experiencing now as well. The feeling of social isolation, because before you go to work and see other coworkers, and even those small interactions we know can have a positive cumulative impact on how we're doing. Uh, we're physically less active when you're, let's say, working at home because even getting up and going out and walking around the office or walking to wherever you have to go, that physical activity is good. Going outside itself can have a nice impact. And so I know we're supposed to try to stay indoors as much as we can and not go out, but we can, at least depending on where you are uh, and what you've heard from the public officials about what's the right thing to do. Um, we can try to go outside and get a little bit of sun or be outside even for a few minutes a day just to get some of that uh, outside feeling. So we do want to be aware of the different things that are being held back by what's going on and see how we can counteract some of those things. Uh, another thing that Roxana Karimi has uh, recommended is to journal. And I think that's actually a great idea to just write out some things about how you're feeling, about what you're going through now, of course, it can always be helpful, uh, but also just about in general things in your life and what you're feeling, relationships, all sorts of things. And just let your subconscious take the lead and write whatever comes to your mind. Usually when we journal, a lot of times you can still have this feeling of make sure it looks good or looks right, especially if you have some perfectionism. Um, you want to still be aware of the spelling and what if someone reads this or what if this was published. But try not to think of it that way. It's more of an exercise of allowing yourself to just let whatever is within you come out and whatever you're thinking and feeling, it just come down on the page. And I'll also mention this because journaling is something that from time to time I will mention to a client. For some people, they love it and they want to do it. 
Other people, it just doesn't feel quite right to them. And so if you don't, any of these techniques I talk about, uh, as is always the case, it has to resonate for you and feel right to you. Sometimes we don't give something a chance, so hopefully you'll give things a chance and see how it goes. But sometimes it's just not the right coping uh, skill for you, and that's okay. There are so many for, for us to choose from. Um, so just uh, you know, pick the ones that work for you. Uh, she's also written Find a New Podcast to Listen to. That's a good one. If you're listening to me now, I guess I don't need to say this, but you can listen to my podcast. That was a uh, uh, very uh, selfish plug right there. But um, you can obviously listen to so many podcasts. There's a lot of great things. And we were talking about reading a book before, which is great, but there's so many ways to learn. And there are experts in different fields talking about different things. There's people just putting out lots of funny and entertaining content. So there's a lot of different things out there that you can listen to. But, yeah, definitely check out some great podcasts that might help you uh, during this time, and you might find something new that you like. Um, another one she's written that I think is very good, and I alluded to it in the, the first segment, was to limit your news intake and conversations about the coronavirus. And I think that's something to keep in mind. Now, I know even my whole show today is surrounded by this theme, uh, but it's so easy to get inundated by the news related to coronavirus. Right now, if you turn on any news station, it's just a 24-hour uh, cycle of talking about the coronavirus. If you listen for an hour, you'll probably hear coronavirus a thousand times. You'll see different numbers, how many cases, how many people have died in America, around the world. And I think, as always, it's important to stay connected to our world, and we don't want to deny the reality, of course, of what's going on. But definitely, there can be a point where it becomes too much. Just constantly hearing about the different news that's going on around the world is not going to really help you stay connected. It's just going to make you more obsessed and preoccupied with what's happening or one aspect of what's happening rather than knowing what's going on, being aware of what's going on, and then shifting back to what you can do and what you can control, which is what's going on in your life and what you can actually do with what's going on. Uh, my friend Sam that I mentioned in the first segment, also he mentioned that something he's been doing is he just doesn't check the news uh, for, I forgot how long he said when he wakes up and he goes to sleep at all. He just won't allow himself to see anything related to the news. And I think that's a good idea, uh, just to not get ourselves continuously inundated with the news. It could just make us more worried and more paranoid rather than help us stay informed and, and really help us. So, yeah, we want to go to places like in America, the CDC Center for Disease Control, the World Health Organization, to find out new guidelines, new things about what's going on, but we want to limit the amount of how much we're doing that. Another one she mentions is to maintain your therapy appointments and medication regimen. I think that's a very a good point. You know, therapy is something that, of course, People sometimes think of as a luxury or something that uh, I'll do when I have the time or money to do it, which I understand it does have costs and opportunity costs of doing it. But uh, probably now more than ever, we need that space to talk to someone. We're dealing with a lot of new feelings, big feelings, challenges. Lots of people are feeling the isolation, the separation. Uh, the uncertainty is a very big one, which creates, of course, anxiety for anyone. But if you already are prone to anxiety, you can expect that you'll feel a spike in anxiety. So I think that's something to keep in mind. Now, most therapists, like myself and others I've talked to, 
are not doing in-person sessions, which makes sense. And I think we should be following those uh, uh, orders from um, the government about how to make sure we're not spreading the disease. But we can do phone or video sessions, which do feel different and might be missing some of that element, of course, of being face-to-face in the same room. But it doesn't mean it can't be helpful. So I highly recommend uh, doing that and continuing your therapy. And of course, if you're on any kind of medication, stay regular with those routines as well, because we know you might need it now more than ever. So she's listed a bunch of other ones, again, from Roxana Karimi's page, psychotherapist in Orange County, Talk with Fox is the title of her uh, uh, her handle on Instagram. You can check that out. Other things she's talked about, including, um, uh, let's see, reorganizing your closet and making a pile to donate once things are better, because I think right now, I don't know if those organizations are even accepting clothes. Maybe they are. Uh, but she has a bunch of other ones listed there as well. And again, no list is going to be exhaustive. You have to find things that work for you during these times, um, what we can call corona coping skills, to get through these challenging times, to try to make our lives a little bit more regular during these irregular and uh, new times that we're all going through. But there's things that we can do. Uh, as always, we can't control what's out of our control. So whatever is in our control that we can change, we want to try to make the best of that whenever we can. So let's go to another commercial break. Coming up, I'll talk a bit more about uh, of course, coronavirus and how it's affecting us, but about romantic relationships and marriages, and then also parenting and being with your kids. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Galakwi. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. Um, again, I'm doing the call or doing the show via telephone, so things are a little bit different, but Gazal is there in the studio, making sure things go as smoothly as possible, so a big thank you to her. So I mentioned I would talk about marriages and relationships, but before I get to that, it could be, um, maybe we could take things in order before we get to the marriage, we just have to talk about dating. And so this is a very interesting time. Dating is always an interesting thing for people to go through an experience. But, of course, right now, it's definitely creating, so let's say, some challenges, to say the least. But a lot of people might feel like things are completely on hold. While some things are, not everything has to be. So we can talk about, I think there's that book, Love or Movie, Love in the Time of Cholera. There's kind of love in the time of corona, where people are trying to figure out how to deal with their relationships that are going on. Um, but also, can you start a new relationship? So uh, let me share a few thoughts about that and what can be done and some themes that I've already seen emerging and some of them I think make sense. One thing is that a lot of people want to be with someone. Now, of course, that desire tends to be there for most people most of the time, but especially right now when we've been forced to isolate a little bit more, we have more free time. Um, I think people are, one, getting more in touch with their feelings of loneliness or isolation that they might have had, real actual connectivity isolation or a lack of connection. And so that's bringing that up. But also just having that free time, people want to have someone and be connected to someone. So you'll see likely a spike, maybe you've already experienced it yourself if you're single, 
of wanting to be with someone, have someone in your life, a partner, um, which we can understand that feeling, especially because we're also experiencing this uncertainty about what's going on. Will we get a chance to be with someone? Uh, how long will these things be frozen in the way they tend to feel right now? And so it could feel that added pressure that I need to find someone or be with someone because how can I even find anyone going forward? And so because of that, what you're also noticing is a lot of people are going back to past loves or lovers, people they've had, dated before, um, to reconnect with for a few reasons. One is anytime we experience uncertainty and changes, as we are doing in big ways right now, we like to go back to the familiar. We want to feel a comfort, feel a, a feeling of home, and oftentimes we'll feel that with people we've already known. So a lot of people right now might not feel as much of a desire to find someone new because they're in this almost survival mode where you're trying to look for the familiar. So you might feel an appeal to reach out to someone you already have been with before and feel that that connection might be something to rekindle now. Now, it could be that this is pushing you towards doing that, and it could be the right choice, but we do want to also be aware of, okay, right now I might feel this strong desire to just be with someone, to have someone. I'm feeling alone, and I want to go back to someone familiar, someone where I already know uh, there can be something there, but we don't want to forget why a relationship ended or what was not right with it. Uh, very often after a relationship, people can have a tendency, especially after some time, to remember all the good things and to minimize and downplay the bad. So we remember, oh, remember that moment we shared here or how funny they were or how connected we felt or how good we were together in this way or that way. But we'll forget about the fights and even disrespect or abuse that might have happened during the relationship because we are, it's kind of like a drug. When we uh, are addicted to a drug and we are feeling those withdrawals, we don't think in that moment about the bad things we went through, the negative consequences, the way it made us feel afterwards, all those horrible things that we dislike and really ruined even your life. Those things will be pushed aside as your short-term goal of just having someone, of getting over that pain, of getting over that withdrawal feeling, is going to push you towards being back with that person. So we know this is, unfortunately, one of the things as humans we do is that when we want something in the short term, we're very good at justifying it. And sometimes justifying it means uh, being blind to or not looking at the negative aspects of whatever that thing is also. We just think about the good feelings. So it doesn't mean if you're thinking of rekindling an old flame, it's the wrong thing to do, but be a little bit mindful that there could be a lot of forces pushing you in that direction, the uncertainty, wanting something comfortable, wanting to uh, be with someone and not be alone, um, that might make you a little blind and try to remind yourself, okay, why did this relationship not work? And is there anything for me to believe that those things have changed? Very often they haven't, but we're just wanting to have someone again, so you might go back. So that's something uh, I've been seeing a lot of and people are experiencing, and so maybe you've been there as well. But you just want to be a little bit mindful not to start something just to, to have someone, but to make sure it's the right thing to do.
Now we can also um, meet someone new during this time. Even I think uh, there's some dating sites are trying to promote this in some way of uh, creating virtual dates, uh, whether you're on the phone or video, and that can be good. Now, we always have to be mindful of the potential for idealization, which happens in dating anyway, but can be further exaggerated by certain factors like distance and not seeing each other. So uh, it actually reminds me, I saw about, I think, three episodes of this Netflix show, Love is Blind. I'm sure many of you have seen it because I think it was very popular and for a time maybe the most popular show on Netflix. Um, and so people would, it was a dating show where people would go into these pods and they couldn't see each other, but they can just talk to each other. Now, uh, within a few even days, and in these days they weren't talking to each other a lot because they talked to a lot of different people, uh, people were quote-unquote falling in love and um, even proposing to each other and wanting to get married. Now, as always with reality TV, you wonder how reality it is, meaning that is there a, a part of it that's being scripted probably to some extent. But nonetheless, um, there was this feeling of intimacy that, that was created during these interactions that I don't want to say is all fake, but sometimes can be exaggerated by this feeling of the less you see, the more you fill in. And the more you fill in, usually you fill in in an idealized way. So uh, they would talk to each other and share a few stories and feel so connected to each other when very often what was going on is that they were just feeling a fake or exaggerated intimacy because of what they were filling in in their head. There wasn't really that actual connection. Now, um, getting to know each other by talking and communicating is a great thing to do. And oftentimes in dating, I was just going to say in today's dating, but always, the physical aspect of a relationship can also be a maker of fake intimacy and could get in the way of really getting to know one another. So people will start dating and will very soon enter a sexual relationship. And this can alter the way they feel about each other in ways that might not be related to how good of a match they are for one another. So this can be one potential, if you want to call it positive aspect of what's going on, is that if people are getting to know each other more from talking and really in some way don't have the opportunity of having a sexual relationship, that might allow for them to get to know each other and create a stronger friendship. And uh, as we know, John Gottman's research shows that what is most important in creating a healthy, happy relationship is the quality of the friendship between the two partners. So if we don't create just that sexual relationship, it can actually allow for there to be more space to develop that friendship and to see if really one exists. What some people might realize when they can't have that sexual relationship and they want to talk to one another, there's not a lot there. And many people will recognize that the sex was actually not because they were so into each other and attracted to each other and good for each other, but the sex was actually a cover for the lack of anything else in the relationship. There isn't an actual connection based on uh, the personalities of the two individuals and who they are, and because of that, the sex was filling that gap of what was actually there. So it, it can be a good time to see that you're getting to know each other and how much of a connection there is. You should be able to talk to each other for a long period of time without getting bored 
Again, that's somewhere where the sex would come in, where it would fill that gap, where there wasn't that connection to communicate in other ways. Uh, so it could be good to have that, but you have to have that big grain of salt that there is idealization or you're creating a situation where idealization can definitely loom large when you're just talking to each other and not interacting with one another. So that's something just to be aware of. In my opinion, you don't want to make any big decisions about commitment if you're just meeting someone over the phone and never actually being with each other in person. Uh, as was happening in that show, Love is Blind, where they were proposing to each other, I think that is a mistake and something that you should avoid. Even if you are seeing each other on FaceTime, being face-to-face -face with each other is different than uh, looking at each other over FaceTime. So keep that in mind. doesn't mean your dating life has to completely be put on hold. I don't think that um, should be done, but be aware that you are in some ways missing something that can be good, allowing you to just talk and get to know each other, but also missing that face-to-face interaction, see what is it like when we're together. Uh, attraction is something that, of course, uh, the physical part of looking is very important, but we know even things like pheromones and smells can be important. We usually don't think about these things, and so often we're masking the way we actually smell. But these things do have an impact. Or how do you feel when you're actually around each other, not just having this physical distance uh, uh, or this distance of the phone? Um, which might actually serve as a way of masking some of the differences that you might have in person. So very often people will connect online and communicate in various ways. Um, of course, I'd make a big, big point to say that, again, don't just text each other. That even adds a further layer of potentially feeling close to each other when there isn't much there because you can just text each other all day and send each other little pictures, try to do phone calls and video chats. But still, uh, even through that, I would pause when it comes to making a big decision about going forward in the relationship until you get a chance to face-to-face -face see each other, which might take some time. Um, as we know, we don't know when it'll be appropriate for people to start getting together and uh, the social distancing uh, ordinances or rules start to lack. But for now, you might not see each other for a while. So you can talk, get to know each other, but be careful about making some big decisions about the relationship going forward because you don't know what you really got until you've seen each other in person. So just a few thoughts about dating. It doesn't have to be put on hold. You can meet someone new during this time, um, but be aware of what you don't have by not getting to see each other face-to-face -face and how that can interfere in the process of getting to know each other and really seeing what's there. Be aware of the tendency to idealize in general, but how this can be exacerbated and exaggerated when we don't have certain ways of connecting. The less you see and know about someone, the more space there is for you to fill it in with your imagination, which tends to fill it in a very beautiful, idealized way that is not realistic. So we don't have to put anything on hold. We can still try to get to know one another. But let's just think of some of these things and dynamics that might be going on. Now, in the next segment, once you've dated, you're in a relationship, and you can get married, I'm going to talk about people that are in relationships, especially people who are living together and the things they might be going through during this time. Definitely some challenging times, but, of course, some opportunities for connection as well. So let's take another commercial break. 
You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Jalakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Again, I'm doing the show via telephone. Thank you to Ravala in the studio, making sure everything runs smoothly. So I talked about dating in the last segment, love in the time of corona and how it's affecting so many things, including dating and people getting to know each other, trying to date, and also relationships that already started. Uh, but wanted to also talk about the impact or the changes that are going on for married couples uh, or couples who are living together. There are already so many memes out there of people um, talking about how frustrated and annoyed they're getting by their partners after a few days. And, of course, as always, humor like this comes from some type of reality. And uh, so it's not just to be funny. It's actually people are feeling it. That's why people laugh, because they can connect to it. So to begin with, anytime we have to spend a lot more time around someone, even if it's the person you love, the love of your life, and you have a very good relationship, we know that we're going to start to uh, annoy each other. We're going to get frustrated with each other. Things that the other person does is going to bother us. And so we have to expect that there's going to be this added frustration and added annoyance that's going to come up in the relationship. It doesn't mean you don't love each other. It doesn't mean you're wrong for each other. This is just part of being around someone. And if you're around someone too much, that's going to come up. So some of what we see with these memes and these jokes, um, you know, of course, sometimes exaggerated, but of course, expressing something very real. And people are uh, going to feel more frustrated, annoyed with one another. We have to be ready for that. That's something expect to be expected even in a good relationship. And so because of that, I'll give some uh, tips uh, a little bit later about how to make sure we create space even when we don't have as much space from one another and how that can actually be quite important to trying to get through this time, but also a theme to, to keep in mind always in all our relationships, but especially when it comes to our, our most important romantic relationship. So um, the other thing I, I did want to mention when it comes to this is there is some, uh, I kind of have some bad news for some people because what this coronavirus situation with people having to stay home and now spend more time with one another, what it's bringing up for some people, it might be the realization that their marriage wasn't so good to begin with, or they maybe weren't such a great match for one another. And now when they're forced to spend a lot of time with each other, you might see that you don't really feel happy or good around this person. So as much as life is busy and maybe you had kids and work and other things and it made you feel like, well, we just don't have a lot of time to spend with one another, to have date nights and to have long conversations like maybe we could have had before, you might start to realize that you partially didn't want to have those conversations and those date nights, or there wasn't a desire from either of you or both of you to have that. And now when you actually have the chance, you're realizing you're not so happy with it. So the busyness of life, the quote-unquote lack of time, I say that because, again, usually we have time if we make something a priority, those things that we thought were reasons why we couldn't be as close, couldn't communicate and connect as much, were actually 
things we were choosing and wanting because it allowed for us to not have to face the reality that maybe there isn't as much here, there is a lot of negative feeling, where there isn't a close feeling, a feeling of connection. And because of the distractions that we had in life, it actually masked what was not good in our relationship. So I know that can be a bitter pill to swallow for some people, but something we have to consider and keep in mind. Uh, of course, spending time with anyone for a long period of time, you can start to feel annoyed and these things might come up and we need to create some level of space from even someone we're in love with. But it also could be that there's just something not here. Maybe there's too much negative feeling, unresolved fights and unresolved painful feelings between one another. Maybe there wasn't such a connection to begin with. There wasn't much of a relationship at all and now forced with less things to do and having the relationship be more front and center, you might actually see what's there. And again, we have to try to take an inventory in our lives in all ways, but the relationship is also one of those aspects as well. Now, it doesn't mean you're doomed if you're realizing these things. It could mean that now with the more time and even going forward as things change, you can see if you can put more time and effort into the relationship to actually see if something can be there when it comes to resolving past issues, fights, bad feelings that might be lingering, and also creating more of a connection with each other. That might be possible, but we can't think that it's just because uh, that the, the time was the issue. And so this is similar to couples who are in a long-distance relationship. Of course, sometimes they might be right for each other and create a good relationship, but it's funny in a way to think that they can be cursing the distance. Oh, it's so bad that you're far away and we're so far away from each other and we should be close. But for a lot of these relationships, uh, the distance is actually the only thing saving the relationship. If they were actually in the same city, living in the same home, they might see that they're actually not a good match at all. So very often, again, the distance, which seems like the biggest problem, uh, or the thing they wish they could overcome or not have, is the one thing that actually allows them to stay together. Uh, and this doesn't mean that the distance is good. It just means that what they have together, that relationship might not be as good as they think. There might be less of a connection and a good match um, than they would realize if they were face-to-face with each other and spending more time in the same area. But the distance is allowing for that to be harder to see. Just like for many married couples, being so busy, quote-unquote, with the kids and other things that are happening in life might mask that they don't have a good connection or a good marriage themselves uh, and that there's more missing than they realize, not just the time is the problem. The time was actually masking what wasn't there. Now, if you are feeling hopefully okay as you take this inventory of seeing what your relationship is like, as I mentioned before, it's very important to try to maintain some space from each other. Of course, we, we talk about the social distancing, but in my estimation, for most people, if you're living in the same home, you're married to each other, more than likely, unless you're deciding just not to, to touch each other or hug each other at all, uh, if one of you has it, the other one will probably get it. Now, it may be that's not good advice to give, but I think in all likelihood that's going to happen, just like with your kids. Uh, you can't just isolate yourself from your kids and say, I'm not going to touch you uh, for the next weeks or months. We have to just accept that that's going to happen. So you hopefully are uh, 
keeping space from other people more so that you're not bringing it back into the home. But as far as each other, you probably can't avoid that completely. Now, depending on your living situation, this, of course, can have an impact on it. How much space do you have? I know not everyone has the luxury of having a lot of space. But even still, whatever that situation might be, we have to make sure we give each other some space. And, of course, you might think, well, we love each other. Shouldn't we be around each other all the time and be okay with that? Uh, yes, in a way, in theory. But in reality, we need space even with someone you're madly in love with, even with someone you feel very good with, you need a little bit of space from them and just also some space for yourself. And that can be harder for people to find when they're living in a home with many people during this uh, self-quarantining that we're going through, is that you might feel like it's harder to find space, but we need to have that. We need some peace and quiet as close as we can get to that for ourselves. And couples need to make sure they give this to each other as well. Because the analogy I really like about this comes from thinking of love as a flame, which is sometimes used. The flame is out, or we talk about passion as a flame. And to keep that flame of the love alive, you need two things. You need closeness to create the heat that is the fire. So, of course, you need to have that closeness, both in your emotional connection, physical connection, and even time spent together. You need closeness. But you also, like a fire, does need space. The fire needs to breathe, right? If you cover a fire completely, it goes out because it needs oxygen to keep burning. And so your love is the same thing. If you don't have that closeness but also that balance of space, you won't keep that flame alive. And so right now, with what's going on, there are a lot more opportunities uh, for the closeness, which can be good, but if we don't balance that with some space, which might be need more effort now because before you had a lot of space, let's say if you both work, you're both out of the home, you both have social gatherings sometimes that are separate, it would create that space. Now a lot of those things are gone and you could feel forced to be together all the time. So it might take some more effort to create that space, but it's something to create and to communicate about. And one of the issues couples will have, whether we're talking about now or even just before uh, in general, is that you might have different desires and needs for closeness and space. It would be nice in an ideal world if uh, both partners had exactly the same types of needs and wants and their moods went up and down together and their desire for closeness and space was exactly in sync, but that's not realistic. That's not how things work out in reality. And so we have to be ready to have those conversations where maybe one partner wants space and the other one doesn't, um, or one partner really wants to connect in a deep way and maybe the other one isn't ready in that moment. And these conversations can be challenging because we can tend to take it personally. If a partner says they want space from us, we might take that personally and take that as rejection. My partner doesn't want or love me. When really it could actually just be a healthy part of being human and being in a relationship that we need space even from the person you love more than anything in the world. You might need space. Even uh, mothers and fathers with new kids they need a little bit of space from their kids. They might be so madly in love with their children, but they do need a little bit of space. They can feel overwhelmed and have lots of feeling about their kids that might all not all just be positive and pleasant. Uh, we might think in an idealized way, your kids will never make us feel bad, but they don't. And similarly, even if you're in love with your partner and love them very much and feel very good about them, you need space from them as well. So it's very important to 
communicate about with each other about creating that space, creating the closeness as well, but making sure you're mindful of that and how you both are doing. And if you communicate about it in a uh, clear way, hopefully neither partner will feel rejected if there's different desires for closeness and space. And so related to creating that connection, here's another aspect of life that people will sometimes say they don't have the time or there isn't good timing, and that's having uncomfortable conversation. Of course, by definition, if a a conversation is uncomfortable, it's not comfortable. It doesn't feel good to have it. So we can understand that we would want to avoid these things. This relates to what I was talking about earlier in the show about how you might find you're not meditating or exercising, and obviously the easiest advice is to do those things, but you might recognize there's some feelings attached to why you might not be doing it or why you might feel ambivalent about starting something. So similar with uncomfortable conversations, we know they don't feel good and they can bring up a lot of big feelings for people. Of course, they just don't feel good, they're uncomfortable, but also related to that, some of the discomfort comes from the fear of what if we have this conversation and it turns up to, into a big fight? Or what if we have this conversation and even worse, it leads to the end of the relationship? Because many people have avoided conflict a lot of their lives, because many people in their own families, conflict was not dealt with appropriately. And by that, I mean the majority of families, you see conflict completely avoided and then blow up type of fights that are very ugly and messy and don't get resolved and just make things worse is the other extreme. And there really isn't this healthy medium where conflicts come up, people share their feelings, they're respectful, they can stay calm, even if there are some feelings that come up, they can maintain a level of respect and calm, and then things get resolved and actually get better because of those conversations, because of the conflict. And so most people didn't see this modeled for them growing up, and so conflict becomes this thing that either you avoid or when it happens, it's really ugly and nasty and leads to bad things. And so there's this fear or this feeling that it's better not to talk about these things because if you do, it's only going to make things worse. And that's really unfortunate because we know that the only way to have a healthy, strong relationship is if you're willing and capable and able as a partnership to talk about the uncomfortable feeling, to share when you're not feeling good in the relationship, when you're hurt by your partner, when you feel dissatisfied about some aspect of what's going on. If you can't have those conversations, you can't have a very strong and close relationship. And I wrote a post a while ago where I just wrote that avoiding conflict equals avoiding closeness. If we're not willing to talk about the things that don't feel good, the parts of the relationship that we're not feeling good about, There's no way to have deep, uh, emotionally intimate relationships with people if we're avoiding those conversations. So this could be a great time to have those conversations. And it is funny because the timing excuse is completely out the window. You have the time. We see that it's really about not wanting to have the conversation. And I joke about this sometimes because what you see happens is if one of the members of a marriage, for example, wants to bring up a topic, they'll say, hey, Can we talk about that fight we had, let's say, and it's something uncomfortable? And the other person says, oh, come on, you know I'm having such a bad day. Now you're going to throw that on top of that? And so the conversation doesn't happen. Or, on the other hand, they're having a good day. And they say, oh, you saw how much fun I was having. I was enjoying my day. Now you want to bring it up? And so 
we realize that really there's never a good time for these conversations, meaning that it's never going to feel like, yay, I can't wait to have this uncomfortable conversation. At most, it's probably going to feel like, ugh, I don't know how this is going to go, but I know it's going to be good for us to do it. So even though it might not feel good, I want to go forward anyway, which is what we do in a lot of aspects of life. We know that staying in our comfort zone doesn't lead to growth, doesn't lead to fulfillment and feeling satisfied with our lives. We have to break out of that comfort zone knowing it doesn't feel good, but we know that this is pain towards growth, not pain towards damage, so we go forward anyway. So if you're loved one with your husband, your wife, to think, okay, this doesn't feel good, I get it, but this is what we have to do to create a good relationship. Another analogy I like to use is going for a teeth cleaning. Well, right now, you probably shouldn't be going unless you, know, you have some kind of emergency dental issue or not going in. But when you go for a teeth cleaning, it's not that it's fun and it feels good. Sometimes it's a little bit uncomfortable. There might be a little bit of pain. You keep your mouth open for a long time. But you know that that's the only way to maintain your dental health. And sometimes I like how dental health and mental health rhyme. Um, but the only way to maintain your mental health or to maintain a strong relationship, you got to go in there and clean some of the stuff that builds up. You have to have those uncomfortable conversations in order to have a good relationship. So I highly recommend to the couples out there, I know it's tough, I know it's not easy, but I hope you'll take advantage of this opportunity to have some of those conversations you've been avoiding. And I think in any relationship, especially any close relationship, especially any marriage, there's some big conversations that have not been had, that need to be had. And let's take advantage of this time to say, you know what? We've been avoiding talking about this. I know it's scary, but let's talk about it. And of course, how we act and respond to these conversations is very important. If our partner doesn't make us feel safe, if our partner gets so angry, if we don't feel validated and heard, we can understand that we won't have faith that having these conversations are going to make things better. It does take some level of faith to open up these conversations, thinking that it can be hard, but it'll be worth it. And so hopefully both partners will play their part to be respectful, to try to stay calm. You're going to have feelings. We're not going to be calm the whole time. But even if you get angry, to not uh, hurl disrespect towards your partner. But we can give each other that feeling that, you know what, these conversations are tough, but it's going to be good for us. So let's have those conversations. So I hope couples will take advantage of this time to create new ways and levels of intimacy and connection between one another because we know that a good relationship has to be a deep relationship, and we can only go deep if we're willing to be open and willing to talk about some of those uncomfortable things. All right, let's go to another commercial break. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Friday to Walk. We will be right back. Again, it's hard to know when I'm going back on the air, but I'd to thank you for what you're doing in the studio. So the last segment, I talked about some thoughts about marriages and how what's going on with coronavirus and self-quarantining, social distancing, and how that can affect us. I wanted to talk a bit about parents and the challenges that they're going through with this epidemic that we're dealing with, the pandemic that we're dealing with. One of the big things that people are dealing with is schools being closed. And so now you're home a lot, your kids are home a lot, and in 
a lot of ways, that's a beautiful thing, and that's wonderful that families are spending more time together, but it creates its own stresses as well. And now let me mention again that uh, people are going through different challenges during this time. So for many people, it might just be a time to slow down and break, but for many families, uh, the pressures they're going through financially and for, with having lack of childcare, lack of even hot meals and different things that they were getting based on school and other things that uh, creates its own challenges. So uh, I will talk in the last segment about thinking about those who are affected more and some thoughts on how we can hopefully carry those thoughts and feelings going forward and how it might change how we live our lives. But for now, just talking about families in general. So you're spending more time with your family, your kids, great. And just like I mentioned in the previous segment about being around your love of your life, your kids who are these bundles of joy and maybe the most uh, meaningful things in your life or people in your life, it doesn't mean they're not going to stress you out or make you frustrated or annoyed. Actually, they almost definitely will, and they'll just do it more than they used to. So we have to be ready for this. That, of course, it's so beautiful to get to spend more time with your children, connect with them, to play with them in different ways, to have new experiences that maybe you weren't having because of work and other things that were going on. But we have to expect that it's going to be challenging as well. Now, one thing to, to mention is how to talk to your kids about what's going on. And as is always the case with whatever the topic is we're dealing with, their age definitely does matter. If they are less than, let's say, three, four years old, you don't need to tell them much about what's going on and the coronavirus and people are dying because of this virus. You can just say that mommy and daddy or daddy and daddy, mommy and mommy, have some more time off from work and we get to play and be together. They don't need to know about pandemics and uh, viruses and people are dying and who's more vulnerable and what's going on. Those things are not going to be necessary for them to be aware of. As they get a little bit older, you could tell them that some people are are getting sick um, and people are we're staying home just because you want to make sure everyone is going to be okay. So you want to give them a sense of safety. We are dealing with an uncertain time, and as adults, we're facing that uncertainty. But your kids don't need to be let in on that uncertainty. It's the same as if you're dealing with financial hardship. As a parent, you don't need your little kids to know about that. To say, well, the reason why we're not doing this is because we don't have money, because we can barely afford the rent. We don't need to pass that anxiety onto their kids. This is something for us adults to be dealing with. They don't need to carry that burden of what is going on. And so because of that, you want to be aware of the news that you're watching. You might think your kids don't get it, but if you leave the news on in the background and you're hanging out with your kids, they're going to hear about what's happening and probably get scared about what's happening. And they don't need to uh, get scared about what is happening. So in general, I think we should limit our intake of the news. But especially when your kids are around, don't watch the news or listen to the news when they're younger kids because they're just going to hear certain words that might scare them and not understand how to make sense of the situation. So you don't need to keep them so informed about what is going on to let them know mommy and daddy won't be going to work as much and we'll be home more and usually they'll be probably pretty excited and happy about that and and you can just leave most of it at that you don't need to get into all 
of the details of what's going on and the virus and how it kills people and what, what's happening there. So, of course, when you're home more, you have more opportunities to be with your kids. And for a lot of parents, this could be fun, but also challenging. Now, I don't want to say have all the rules go out the window and all the structures you built into your lives with your kids is out the window, let's say about screen time, bedtime, um, what they can and can't play with or different things and what they can and can't eat. But we want to be flexible too. We're going through a challenging time. We're going through some big changes. And so we know that some things might be different. I've seen parents, in a joking way, but again, lots of truth to this humor, talking about how, you know, all those rules about screen time went out the window about three hours into self-quarantining. And I understand it's challenging to keep your kids engaged and entertained all the time. You need breaks from them, too. So, of course, it can be a great time to play with them more, be more engaged in your play with your children face-to-face, eye-to-eye contact, communication. That's great. Hopefully, you'll increase the amount of time you're spending with your kids, but you still need some breaks as well. And hopefully, if you have uh, other people that are helping you, like a husband and wife, a partnership, or other family members that you already live with, you can share some of that burden and give yourself some breaks or share that load of taking care of the kids. But um, make sure you're, you did do that as well, so make sure you have that space from, from your, your kids and what you're doing. Now, as much as your kids probably love getting to spend more time with you, there are changes that they're going through as well. Uh, school is usually a thing that we think of as kids wanting to be out of school, which is probably true most of the time, especially as they get older. There's always this desire to have snow days and have holidays and not have to go to school, but they lose a lot when they don't go to school. First and foremost, the structure that they're used to having in their days totally gets thrown off, and that can be challenging for kids to deal with. But very importantly, the social aspect of school is something that they lose. Uh, getting to see their friends, getting to play, getting to interact, getting to try on new roles and deal with feelings and interactions, there's so much that they're missing that they're likely going to feel that emptiness. And so based on how things are going on right now, having play dates and having them actually see their friends is not something we would recommend, and I hope you're not doing that. But try to find ways where they can stay connected to your friends, their friends. Um, you know, you might maybe have heard this term, of course, of social distancing, but then some people have added that rather than calling it social distancing, we can change it to physical distancing because it's not that we can't socialize, we can't connect and communicate with our friends and loved ones, it's that we can't be around one another physically, we can't be close to each other. The physical space is what we want, not the social space. So that's something to keep in mind with your friend, your kids as well. Have them video chat with their friends. I know a lot of schools are doing classes on Zoom and different video chatting platforms, and I think that's great for the kids. Of course, the learning part, which is important, I'm not so worried about if they didn't have that learning for a little bit of time, uh, you know, they can make up for it and other things will happen, but I think that's good, but also just the, the social part and the routine part. So give your kids those opportunities, of course, if they have classes, to communicate and be part of those, but also... Uh, to communicate with their friends outside of it and be aware outside of those classes because this does have an impact on your kids. They need to stay connected with their friends. It's very painful for them. It's hard for them. They might not understand what's going on. So we want to make every effort we can to uh, give your kids that opportunity to connect 
and stay connected with their friends during this difficult time. Now, I mentioned about difficult conversations, uncomfortable conversations in the previous segment. With your kids, it might be a little bit different in that you want to be aware of what they want to talk about. Um, but it could be a good time to ask them a little bit more about them and to connect in a deeper way. Now, as is always the case with anyone we talk to, but including your kids, it takes two to have a conversation. So if they don't want to talk to you about something or if it feels intrusive to them, don't push it and say, no, I want to know about you. What are you feeling? What's going on? That's not going to feel good for them. But you might have more opportunities to have some conversations that you never had, and that can be something quite wonderful that you can have with your, your kids to get to know them better. Now, your teenage kids, uh, even though you might be self-quarantined and you'll say, now I'll finally get to spend more time with them, they'll want to spend more time with you, they might not, and be ready for that, except that they might still want their space from you. We know that in the teenage years, there is more of a desire, a tendency, and even need to connect with their peers. They care more about their peers than their parents. And that's something that's tough for parents to deal with in general, not just in these circumstances, that their kids now want to turn to their friends, but they'll still do that. And with social media and texting and all the various ways they can stay in touch, they probably will still want to. And so you might want to fight that or resist that or tell them, now you have to talk to us more. But you can't pressure someone into a good conversation. They have to want to connect and communicate with you. And likely with the increased time you'll have around one another, there will be more opportunities to connect and to communicate. But don't force or pressure your kids into having those conversations because, again, you can't force someone into something productive like that. They have to want to talk to want to communicate with you. And it's not just about talking and communicating. With this added time, you might have more time to play games and do things together, activities that you really never did before. Um, maybe you play video games that your, your son or daughter plays that maybe you thought were bad, but maybe it's a new way to connect with them, or board games, or do a puzzle together. You see a lot of people doing puzzles. Different activities that you can do. And uh, something I'll mention in the last segment is about how I hope we'll learn some lessons from what we experience during this time, however long it might be. There might be ways to connect and communicate with all your loved ones, but also with your kids that you realize, you know what, I want to make time for this even when things go back to quote-unquote normal, whatever it is. I want to keep doing this thing. If we do puzzles every so often, let's do that. If we play these games together, let me still make time for that even when I do have to go back to work and they go back to school. We want to learn from what's going on, and we will have lots of opportunities to try different things try new things, and we don't want to just think of it as a, this was a corona type of a thing. And once this whole situation has changed or gone back to normal, we're going to forget about those things. Hopefully we'll learn some lessons and learn some new ways of connecting uh, with our loved ones that will carry forward and not stop even when things have uh, gone back to how they used to be. So find new ways to connect. There's probably going to be more options than you realize. You don't have to force them, but it can be a good time to connect to your kids in ways that you haven't before. And likely you'll realize that it's something you wish you were doing more of, and you'll continue to make time for that even when you do have to go back to work and things go back to how they used to be. 
So let's go into our last commercial break. After the break, I'll share some final thoughts about things that are going on, uh, things that are on my mind. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Galakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. For the last segment, I wanted to share some thoughts I had about things that are going on and hopefully some lessons and things we can keep in mind during this time and going forward. I've seen uh, many people write posts like this or share a post basically saying, what a shame it would be if we came out of this exactly how we went in or if we don't basically learn from some of the things that we go through during this time. And I very much agree with that. Uh, some some things that come to mind is the amount that we're seeing the interconnectedness and the interdependence we all have as human beings. Of course, it's cliche and can sound very uh, idealistic in some of these ways that I understand, but even the fact that all humans can be susceptible to this, meaning that it could be carried between humans, is a reminder of um, the connection we all have as human beings, that we are like one human family, and we all can be affected by this. Whatever way we thought we would separate ourselves, race, religion, ethnicity, country of origin, sexual orientation, whatever ways you think you're different from one another, when it comes to this, we're all the same. Uh, Maybe hopefully we can see ourselves and recognize more of that sameness, meaning that we're all connected in this way and we're all human beings, a little bit more going forward as well and in all areas and aspects of life, that connection that we have. And also, in that same way, we see that it's bringing people together globally as well. Um, I saw the doctors from Cuba, I think, going to Italy, and they were receiving a standing ovation and applause from all the people seeing these doctors and healthcare workers that were volunteering to help uh, deal with the crisis that's happening in Italy with the cases that are there, and it was quite wonderful. So we're seeing um, how much better we are when we help one another than we are when we don't in resources, but also just in information. The more doctors and scientists around the world communicate about what they're going through, the progress they're making in treatments and vaccines and everything else, the better we will all be. I hope those continued concerted efforts will happen when it comes to dealing with this pandemic and minimizing the damages and the loss of life that happens around the world to everyone experiencing it. And so that part of it, as much as it's a challenging and sad time that we're going through and lots of changes and unfortunate things that are going on, there is some beauty in it as well, seeing people come together to help each other, to help people that maybe won't be them or even their loved ones. Uh, Of course, it's not just certain people that are vulnerable. You maybe are seeing cases of younger individuals who are dying from COVID, from the coronavirus. It's not just older people, for example. You hear that a lot, that the older people are vulnerable. Yes, they're more vulnerable, but it does seem that, again, it doesn't discriminate completely based on anything, even age, and so others can be affected too. But nonetheless, uh, for many people, they might recognize they are at less risk for facing some more severe consequences physically with what's going on, but hopefully they will choose 
to participate in the social distancing and doing what they can to reduce the spread of the disease to protect those that are more vulnerable, the ones that really are more at risk. We're doing it for them and, of course, for all of us as well. But sometimes it might not be directly impacting you in the same way it impacts someone else. But nonetheless, we're seeing that people are responding to that call to do what they can to help. And I think that's wonderful and something that I hope we continue to carry going forward because um, I don't mean to be a downer in this way or to change the focus in this way, but there were so many people or there were so many people before this pandemic who were living in crisis in different ways. People who were struggling financially, uh, not having health care, living in different types of oppression, living in different types of areas that were not safe for a variety of reasons. And so this isn't the new and only crisis that we're dealing with globally and that people are facing, but many people every day before this happened uh, were facing crises of their own. And unfortunately, we were doing very little about it, which is very sad. Um, one thing I thought about the other day, I was driving to go pick something up for my father. And so it was the first time really I was driving for a while and I was driving around and seeing things. And, you know, of course, things are much more empty. But I was thinking and reflecting on uh, the things I miss doing in my day-to-day -day normal life that I used to have. And I started to realize that a lot of those things I miss doing, lots of people never got to do going out, going to restaurants, going to public events. Many people don't get to have that experience anyway. Even when things were quote-unquote normal, for them, they were still not things they had access to. So a lot of what I was missing were things that people always are missing. And as is always the case, by connecting to our own pain, it can allow for us to have empathy and connect to the pain of others. And so I hope that everyone during this challenging time um, will reflect on that as well. As you feel that pain, whatever it is you're going through about the changes, the uncertainty, the even feeling of lack of safety, lack of comfort that you're going through, to feel that pain, because as always, we want to be in touch with our feelings, but to also not just feel it and then when it's done, forget about it, but use it now to first connect to those who are suffering around the world the same as you, but also differently from you, or even were suffering in ways before all of this happened, that you can now feel a little bit more. And hopefully, with that feeling will come some action. Because when we feel compassion for others, we feel that pain, and we want to do something about it to really, it can sound in a way selfish, but to reduce that bad feeling in ourselves, we want to help that other person. Because once that issue is resolved, or once we see their pain go away, that negative feeling within ourselves goes away as well. So I hope we will keep that in mind going forward, that a lot of what we used to take for granted and now we can't do, many people never could do even before. So we really were taking it for granted and should recognize that people are suffering all the time and we don't want to forget them. And so, again, part of the beauty is how everyone is coming together during this time, and I think that is wonderful and beautiful to see, but it reminds us that we can come together for other people in other ways as well. So this wasn't 
uh, the only thing that mattered in the world that was affecting people. But we were doing much for people who were homeless, even here in the United States and in a city like Los Angeles, which is very wealthy, or people who are suffering around the world. We see that we can stop and take care of them. We can come together to recognize that even though I'm not the one in pain, if any human is suffering in some way, we should do something about it. That should be our priority. And even now, as we're seeing people talk about, well, what should we do? The economy is slowing down. Uh, we can't keep going like this. I hope that we will value human life over money. And I know that itself can be a very idealistic way of talking about things. And I'm not saying that uh, we don't need the economy in any way or any of these things. They don't matter at all. But I hope that we, the way we value human life and human pain and suffering, especially when it's avoidable, when there's something we can do about it, that we place much higher value on that than on markets, stock markets, and the price of various things and economies that can, I think, recover. I hope we will change our focus to make that human life more important now and how we go back to work and how that will be uh, unrolled and happening in America and around the world. But then going forward, too, seeing that there were so many people we were ignoring who were suffering, who were in pain, who were dying, and we just accepted it as, well, you know, that's just the way things are. Well, as we're seeing, things don't have to be a certain way. So much has changed to deal with what's happening right now. The world was facing a crisis, and so many things have been delayed, put on hold, and have changed for the better to allow for there to be a reduction in the pain and destruction and the loss of life that is caused by what is going on, and that is wonderful. But let's not forget the people who were suffering before this happened, because let's say six months from now, life goes back to quote-unquote normal, there will still be those people who are suffering in those ways, and we can pretend like it's not there, and we can pretend like we can't do anything about it. But I think one lesson we've seen from this is that there's a lot more that we can do. If we take something seriously enough, the world can come together and pay the price, whether it's economically or in our comfort or in things that we do in our daily lives, we can pay that price in order to help protect and save the lives of others and reduce the suffering of other people. So I really hope that we don't lose sight of that, that we can do things differently, that we have a system in place that sometimes we accept as some default, or we think it cannot be any other way, or somehow it's the right system, um, it's the best system, and nothing should be done about it, and everything that's happening is good, and if anyone is suffering, well, somehow that's fair. Or sometimes what we tell ourselves, which I think is a, a very simple default to go to, but a stupid one to go to, is, well, you know, life isn't fair. Well, yes, I agree that life will never be completely fair, meaning that bad things happen, sometimes to good people, sometimes people are suffering, and we can't avoid all of it. But I think that I think as human beings and as a society, one of our biggest responsibilities is to make things as fair and just as we can. To see the suffering that's out there that doesn't need to happen and to reduce it and remove it as much as possible. So saying, well, life isn't fair is just a way of saying something 
unjust is happening, and I don't want to do anything about it. I was telling Tahoe about this, that, you know, people might say, oh, life isn't fair, so who cares if people are suffering or we have to just accept it. Probably that same person, if they went to a restaurant later that day and they didn't give them all of their food, they wouldn't just say, oh, well, life isn't fair, I'll still pay for it. They'll say, no, give me my money back, or they'll complain, or they'll say something. So here we're just talking about ordering some food or ordering something where if we see something unfair, we feel like something should be done. But then when it comes to human life and human suffering, sometimes we, somehow we think that default of, well, life isn't fair is enough, and it's not. Life is not fair. Let's do everything we can to make it as fair as we can. Let's do everything we can to reduce the suffering of people when it is not necessary. If we have food, we should make sure people get food. If we have medicine, people should get it. I know it sounds very idealistic, but I really don't think it is when we consider the consequences of what's going on. And I think people will look back at us during this time. I always think it's important to look in the future and think, how might people laugh at us in a sense that they'll be amazed at how stupid we were or how immoral we were? And I think one of those ways is that they'll see that we were in a society that had enough of many things, but because it wasn't getting to certain people, those people were dying as a result. So I hope we'll learn from this, that we can come together to take care of people that necessarily aren't you or even someone you know, because we know it's the right thing. And we won't forget those people going forward, and we'll recognize that this is a crisis we're dealing with globally that essentially is affecting everyone. But once it's over, let's not forget about all the crises that are happening around the world that are affecting just some people, but those people are humans and part of our human family, and we should be helping them too. And we should stop what we're doing or stop whatever needs to be stopped to make sure those people are taken care of. So that's my hope, is that we get through this and we'll get through this together, and I have faith and hope that we will, but that also we'll go forward and make sure that we take care of everyone that we can going forward as well. So thank you to everyone listening. Wish you all the best to you, your loved ones, during this challenging time. We'll get through it together. I'm hopeful for that. Thank you to the studio for helping me do the show from remote, from my office. Looking forward to speaking to you all again soon. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Lockwee. Take care. <laughs>